Hello and welcome to the 20th episode 2-0 of the Sparring Partners podcast. My name is Kobe McKinley and across the screen from me, Mr. Brad Jones. Yo, what up everybody? Man, man, man. 20, the big, the big 2-0. We're almost big enough to drink, Brad. We're almost there. We're about to get real drunk. But we're almost about there. To, some would say... We already have gotten drunk. Mm. Uh, we're not drunk right now. That was meant to refer to weekends past. Yeah. And uh, man, what a what a past weekend it was, and what a weekend we are looking forward to. Before we get too far into the show, please subscribe to the channel. It helps us out big time. Uh, give us a thumbs up if you like the episode or uh, an element of the episode. It's a long episode. These podcasts are usually over an hour long. So if you just find one thing that you like, it would be the most honest thing to do. In fact, the most honorable thing to do to hit that thumbs up button. And if you feel so inclined, you can comment down below. Questions, comments, or concerns. Um, one concern may be the uh, the speed at which my internet runs. That's a concern of mine. Brad, do you have any concerns? Yeah, only that uh, one of my large uh, cat children will just come running and knock all this over. But uh, so far, so good. That is a that is a concern that some of us have. That is a it is a smaller world already. Um, yeah, man. So we got together. We watched UFC 259. As we often do, not not that card on repeat, but UFC in general. And uh, man, three title fights and a bunch of other fights. I remember at one point I uh, pulled you into the kitchen and I said, "I'm not sure I can take it anymore." It was it was a long card. Like it was a fun card. It was a long card. Long. Yeah, yeah. We predicted that going in, and it certainly delivered. It was yeah. long. Yeah. I mean, like. We'll get into this later, but I am starting to think that three title fights in one night is unnecessary, and we don't. Bro, we say it every single time. It's, it's this constant. It's this constant cycle of we get super jacked, and we're like, "It's three belts on one night!" Oh my god! And then the next day, we're like, "Man, I'm not sure we needed three belts." It's in like one to night. be honest, we would have been better served one of those title fights just headlining on a on a fight night card. We're on ABC or something, you know, like, but whatever. We'll, we'll get more into that later. It was a lot. It was a long card, long night, a lot of fights. Now, um, we're going to get into, let's just, actually, let's just get straight into it. And uh, before, before we start, I have to say, Brad, following the main event, I... I'm not, I've known you a long time. Right, I've known you uh, quite a few years. I've never seen you in the emotional state you were in past the main event. I was quite uh, dejected following that main event. Uh, now I will say, while I am while I'm a large Israel Adesanya fan and I am invested in him personally. Uh, the larger investment was a financial investment that right. was was very close to just pulling yeah. off an insane, outrageous parlay 
Uh, yeah. That could have, you know, I mean, would have would have pulled up on one of those wacky little tweets they put on the screen about wild parlays. But of course, it was not meant to be. Um, so after a couple days, took a day off of work to to find myself, and then mm-hmm. after I came down around Wednesday, right, I was yeah. able to process the fight, rewatched it. Um, still disappointed. I mean, it's like. I mean, this is one of those fights where it's like it was it was technical. Yeah, it was very technical, but like it also was not a barn burner by any means. And no. they keep pushing this narrative in the in the in the post that's killing me, where they're like they're like, look, Izzy, Izzy, like he lost, but he's still hung in there with like the champion, so he's gonna be back and he's gonna he's gonna try it again. And I'm like, why? Why do why do we need to try it again? I don't understand. What's the point in in trying to make this man go up to two hundred five? He's he was going perfectly fine at middleweight uh, before they were just like, "Hey, yeah. why don't you just like put on twenty pounds and go up?" And it didn't work. And I'm like, "Okay, cool. We don't need that. It's unnecessary. Just stay at one eighty five and rack up thirteen title defenses." And like, that's it's ridiculous. That's another yeah. thing that we're over. We're over the, with three title fights, and I'm over the champ champ thing. It's like it doesn't work. It's proven to not work. No one besides Amanda Nunes, who's going back and forth between two dead divisions, is going to actually defend two belts. It's just like it's just a, a cool thing to be like, oh, champ champ. But really, you just moved up a weight class, and you're never going to go back to the last one. So, Yeah, you know what's a shame, right, is that – you would think that the champ champ thing is like some extension of your dominance, right? And the UFC, as dominant as their champions were for years and years and years and years, would never do it. But the moment it became a precursor to stardom, that's when it became acceptable. And that and that version of champ champ is what I am tired of. I mean, honestly, it's the only version of Champ Champ. Um, well, I would say um, Amanda Nunes and Daniel Cormier are the two that I think did it through dominance. Whereas when you're looking at McGregor, he had literally just won the belt. I mean, he was dominant on his way to the belt, but that's not that's not divisional dominance because you're not reigning over the division. And then with Adesanya he beat a lot of guys coming up but that actually that's i gotta call i gotta call intervention on this real quick everyone every champion beats other contenders on their way up they all have all of them have gsp did it anderson silva i mean he got the title more or less as soon as he entered the ufc he had literally one fight but like no one becomes champion in a vacuum. And I'm really tired of hearing the narrative of like, oh, like uh, it's coming up with um, with Kamaru Usman. Like, oh, he beat all these guys on his way up. He beat Liam Edwards already on his way up. It's like, well, that's not cleaning out. That's competing in the division. He He still needs to beat him. Like, he still needs to beat him as a champion to clear out the division as a champion. Yeah. Like yeah, that's not that doesn't count. Like Vittori at middleweight. No, I don't understand why I genuinely do not understand why people are not 
pushing for that. Like the fans just are not pushing for that. The reason why it was a split decision is because he was able to do to Adesanya what Blokovic did to Adesanya. So it's clear that that is not a hole that, because we discussed it last week, right? The, the absence of seeing a striker be put on his back, right? That could be evidence of two things. Either he's never fought a guy who is like that dominant of a wrestler, or his defensive wrestling is so good that that's just not an area we're going to see him. Well, we got our answer on Saturday, and it's that Adesanya's defensive wrestling from the middle of the cage it, the way that he fights, it just is, doesn't help him defend takedowns from there. I am I am dying to see, like, if Vittori can beat uh, the Britishman, what is his name? Till. Till, right? If he can beat Till, I don't understand why there's a push for Till if he wins, but not a push for Vittori if he wins. It's clear. So there, you've got the four the four man tournament. They fight a week apart. It's clear what the UFC is doing, right? So they're matching Whitaker up with Costa. The thing is, in all honesty, if Whitaker beats Costa, he of the four has the greatest like calling card to a title shot. He's the most mm-hmm. earning and deserving of it um, of the four. But of the four, all three three rematches, the only one that's a fresh face is Till, which is why people want to see it. Um, but they're putting Till and Vittori on ABC, and then Whitaker and Costa get the, the old ESPN Plus treatment. Um, so they're clearly wanting to push whichever one wins in that ABC spot. If one can finish the other one, uh, they want that. That would be the big fight. I think it's either Till because it's just a striker's delight, fresh matchup, or Vittori rematch, which is honestly really uh, enticing now because I think – I think Izzy made a mistake taking this fight against Blahovich because it was unnecessary, completely unnecessary. And what did he end up getting out of it? Nothing. He got a, a massive hole in his game exposed, which we knew was there, but we didn't know was this big of an issue. To now killed a lot of his hype that he had uh, on that on that streak of being like, oh, he's undefeated. He's just like this masterclass striker on the feet. No one can touch him. Now it's like, man. If some of those guys at middleweight like really put a wrestling heavy strategy together, might be might look a little different for Izzy now. So I feel like bad decision all around to even take that Jan fight. It was just dumb, dumb, dumb. Like we got nothing out of it. Now, now Jan's gonna go and defend against uh, Glover like he should have the whole time, and Izzy's gonna go back and fight and have to rematch one of the guys that he left the division because he didn't want to rematch him. And it's, it's like whatever, it's fine. Is we it- did it. And it's over now. Yeah, yeah, and it, it's uh, like I said, it was, and and we're in agreement there. It was, it was fun to do. I, I it's not gonna lie. Like I was, I was very excited for the fight. As uh, you know, we were all excited for the fight. Yeah. But uh, as I've said before, I don't know if I've ever said it on the show, but like, um, you know, MMA constantly reminds us that being great, doing the extraordinary is really, really hard. Mm-hmm. It's That is what it constantly drills into your head. Like, 
oh, all the odds are stacked against Fighter A. Oh, man, if he could overcome it, that would be the most incredible comeback or most incredible story in sports. In MMA, it, like, almost never happens. And you're just, like, the uh, the futility of life just becomes reinforced over and over, <laughs> which is why which is why when Conor McGregor can starch two champions back-to-back and become a double – that's why it's so extraordinary. And to say that, yeah, rounds one through three were really close for, for uh, Adesanya and Blockbits. But when Blokovic switched to plan B, it ceased being close. Like the final two rounds weren't close. On the feet, to you know, to the extent it stayed there, it was close. But it really was, it was really bizarre uh, watching Adesanya struggle from bottom. And, and it wasn't, and what was bizarre about it is it didn't seem like a struggle. He seemed relaxed on it. Like he accepted the position very quickly and just was, he decided to um, defend. Uh, that, that was his, that was the thing. He just defended from bottom. And I mean, we were, we were, I was yelling at the TV, dig the underhook. Like he didn't even do step one of getting up. He yeah. he was focused on guard recovery. He was really focused on guard recovery. To the but also guess what? Without that underhook, you are going to have a very hard time recovering guard. And you can watch the last two rounds. Blockovitz has that underhook on the you know, the leg overside, you know, where you're you're trapping your opponent's leg from bottom so you can recover guard on the other side. Blagovitz had the underhook on that side for, it had to be 90% of the time they were on the ground. And Adesanya wasn't fighting, he wasn't like bracing and then like digging under to try and get there. It just was, honestly, uh, that situation made me miss uh Dominic Cruz on the call mm. because we would have heard about that underhook if Dominic Cruz was on the call. He would have been like, he would have been like, yeah, what uh, Adesanya is doing right now. Uh, he's accepted the position. He's doing nothing to get up. He's still doing nothing to get up. He's still done nothing to get up. That was the most frustrating thing about it was like, dude, you're on the ground. You are losing. Like by the fifth round, it became like the judging was super funky, right? Yeah. But at least to me, and I don't know how you felt about it heading into the fifth. I thought it was a, a one-round fight heading into the fifth round. What did you think heading into the fifth? Yeah. Uh, it yeah. was either, yeah, yeah. So the fact that the fact that Adesanya, you know, like his corner had to know. At the very least, it's a five-round fight. Worst case, he's losing. Yeah. And Adesanya did not, like, try to go another gear to get up. Mm -hmm. um, 
It was, yeah, it was just a bizarre strategic choice. I don't think he has that gear at light heavyweight. He had it at middleweight yeah. against Gaslam. Yeah. He needed to hit it, but at, at, at light heavyweight, he spent the first three rounds getting his legs chopped off by Jan. And do I mean, some of those checks in slow motion are brutal, kicking his feet clean out from underneath him. And then Jan wrestling heavy in the fourth and the fifth when he's already exhausted. And this dude is ginormous, like 30 pounds, 20, 30 pounds heavier than him on fight night. In there grappling the shit out of him, uh, yeah, no, he didn't. He didn't even bother trying to get up. Um, wasn't the most impressive performance from him. But now we got this out of the way. I'm honestly more excited for just the normalcy of things, like Jan defending against Glover. Oh, I'm very excited. Old man fights are fun, and those are like actual elite old man fights. Um, something weird too. We'll kind of we'll talk about it in a minute, but I just wanted to throw it in here. Um, so lower down the card, you had. Tiago Santos and Rakic fight in another fight that kind of underdelivered and wasn't all that crazy. But uh, that division is so wild and kind of shallow that in terms of rankings. Now, after that fight, uh, Rakic is number two at light heavyweight. So number one is Glover and number two is Rakic now after beating Santos. And it's just like, it's kind of crazy that that dude is now at number two in that division. Um, I feel like we need to see a lot more of him. Oh, man. Um, He's up. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. So, yeah. You know, I think that, I think that this is, I think this super fight in the grand scheme was good for both divisions. Right. I think the argument that that Jan Blokovic beating Adesanya, he gets some rub now that he beat the superstar Adesanya. Well, I mean, the reality is his next fight is against Glover Teixeira, a man who's been in the UFC for almost a decade and still casuals, I'm sure, have no idea who he is. So he got no... I don't believe that he got any sort of like popularity bump, especially for like winning the way that he did. He won a very technical bout and he did what he had to do. And that's not a way that you win casuals. Now, if he had starched Adesanya, like if he had slept him, that's, that is how, that's how Glover Teixeira gets skipped over for a lot heavyweight title shot so that you can go to heavyweight. That's just how that look, happened. Just look at the numbers. The numbers came out this week. The pay-per-view sold 800,000. 800,000, very respectable number. But, uh, 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 God, let's fight. Usman versus, Usman versus, uh, Masvidal did 1.3 million. It's, it's like Masvidal's yeah. stock is outrageous because of those three knockouts in in quick succession but like he had a whole career before that of technical split decisions and he was a nothing nobody gave a shit about Jorge Masvidal for 15 years and he put together three spectacular knockouts in a row and he can pull millions of pay-per-view buys all of a sudden it's like you have to you gotta have the you gotta have the pieces together Jan Jan's just not gonna have those he this is his this is his great run though for sure him getting the belt now defending it this is the this is the like Michael Bisping final chapter of his career for sure, but I, I'm not expecting him to like just start starching dudes and become a superstar. It's not going to happen. And the man's so, old. I'm not expecting to see him that much longer. So do you? 
Yeah, because I wanted to address the you know the the future of Jan as well because in the pre-fight, his story gets buried naturally, and in the post-fight, his story gets buried. So we we've already discussed that he's going to be fighting uh, Glover Teixeira in what many could call the battle of the underdogs. Neither one of them is supposed to be there. Nope. Yeah, Blakovic is not supposed to win the title, let alone defend it. So I'm really curious. Will Jan Blakovic finally be the favorite? I think he might be. He should be, I would imagine. I'm fairly 50-50 on that fight. Yeah, yeah. You know, I'm not. I'm not 50-50 on it. I'm like... I'm like 65-35 for Blockovitz. Just because he's so big, man. He's so big. But you're right. Glover's been doing some wild Glover's shit lately. Huge. And Glover's yeah. been and, – and Blockovitz in the past, that's how he's lost. Yeah. Is on the yeah. floor. So, yeah, you're right. How crazy would that be? How crazy would that be? 42-year-old Glover. He's got to retire. He, he would definitely retire, right? Well, sure. You'd have to. You'd have you to. You got to. Because what? Mean, he's okay, so let's sort of play out the down. division a little. Let's play out the division a little bit further. So yeah. The, so you'll have those guys fighting for the belt in the in the summer, likely. Mm-hmm. Um, so as we discussed, the Santos the Santos fight against um, Rackage essentially, you you kick Santos out of elite light heavyweight contention, just as Anthony Smith was just kicked out of elite contention. And the way they're lining up Dominic Reyes to be kicked out of elite contention if he gets knocked out by Jiri, whatever his last name is. If Jiri wins against Reyes, he'll be number three. So I think at that point, the logical thing is you do Rakic versus Jiri or Rakic versus the winner of Jiri and, and Reyes. And that fight has to be in a five-round main event. I mean – You've got yeah. Rakic at number two and Jiri fighting to be number three, and none of these people have seen five rounds before, and half these people don't know who they are because they've only got like three fights in the UFC and they've shot up the rankings. Um, yeah, yeah. But, but theoretically, the person coming down the pipe next is either going to be Rakic, the guy young, you know, kind of boring, sometimes killer, Jerry, a wild, savage killer man, or Reyes, God rest his soul, if he can turn it around. But he's I, I don't have high hopes for him. So, yeah, long story short, Glover is going to get the belt, and he's going to peace out real quick um, and then throw it back to the kids. Yeah, yeah. And, and like I was saying earlier, I think the super fight in the long run was good for both divisions, not just the top five or top ten or whatever. But really, the ripple effect that it does the whole rest of the division. So, like, no, you know, no title movement happened at middleweight, which gave time for things underneath the top four to kind of rattle and roll. And now you've got, you know, the the title was predetermined at light heavyweight too. You had Adesanya, and then you have Glover. Now, got you know, the mess would have been had Adesanya won. Because he wasn't going to defend. I mean, everyone knew he wasn't going to defend it. He especially wasn't going to defend it against Glover, and especially now 
after we Hell no. wouldn't if he had won a decision like he if if he Hell had done better in the first three rounds and then got and then got grounded for the last two you think he's gonna fight Glover? Oh no! Oh no! He's he's doing anything he can to not take that fight. So, um, but that's hypothetical bullshit. So, what we have now is, you know, the the title shot was already spoken for post Adesanya. So now we had some movement and at the you know at light heavyweight, and everyone down the line knows that there's gonna be a gap between when you fight and when when the title's getting taken care of, I think is ultimately a good thing. When when divisions are dead, you know, I I have no problem with the champ sitting out for a while. Like, it, it just let the division mature. It, it's like uh, John Jones' last light heavyweight title run. Like, bro, none of the, the – the only legit dude, legit, legit, like battle-tested – uh, been in the division for a long time. He only fought. I mean, he defended the title what three times or four, four. times? Four. four. And then he had the the title win against DC. So in terms of legit battle tested light heavyweight contenders, he fought Daniel Cormier. Then he fought. Uh, it was Gustafson. Gustafson. After that, bro, those guys weren't ready. They were the next guy. They weren't ready. So I think it's I think in in situations like that, especially like the middleweight situation, the only there's two. It's really a shame, actually. I'm kind of bummed that the two dudes that I want to see most fight Adesanya are the two facing off because I don't think they do that Whitaker. I don't. I. I have no appetite for the Whitaker rematch. No one How does. No one I mean, does. Which is why it's like a horrible situation for Whitaker because he's like, yeah, yeah. I'm not going to wait around. I'm just going to keep fighting. And he's like, he's killing off elite guys. Like that win over Till, he's, he's already got it. And now he's going to take out Costa, who, who also is never going to get a rematch. I mean, good Lord, after the way that fight's gone and what he's been talking afterwards, they will um, never give him a rematch against Izzy. Like, dude, those are the guys are in a bad spot. Dude, Brazil has a way of making some fools of I don't know if it's their training. I don't know if it's the hard sparring. But they have a way of making some real interesting characters in the fight game. I'll tell you that. Also, the one wine, last man. He couldn't sleep, so he took... <laughs> took a bottle of a bottle of wine. No one had a melatonin capsule. No one. All right. No one one last thing on this before we move on. I'm just gonna say it. We're gonna throw it out there because it needs to be said. All this talk and discussion of, of an Izzy versus John fight, we can all now say with with certainty how that fight would go, and there is nothing competitive about it. We're talking about Glover Teixeira would tear through uh, Israel Asanya. Boy, John Jones would just take him down and elbow the shit out of him. Um, so, yeah, it's, 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 uh, it's a shame. After, after, afterwards, they're still talking about like, well, you know, down the line, is he is he still my fight, John? No, down no, the line. no. There is no down the line that that I'm talking about a 205 John Jones would have obliterated Israel Asanya a yeah. 240 pound John Jones and just quit. So that's dead and done. 
just like the just like the John DC, DC three fight. If we dreamed of it, it's done. Who dreamed it's of it? That, like, forget that's it. that's sadistic, man. That's sadistic. The the only <laughs> both of those matchups to me seem sadistic. And uh, yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. It, and it was a thing that we only. It was only appealing because we didn't have data to the contrary. Like we all know that anyone that fights John Jones, you run the risk of getting put to the floor and then elbows in your brain. But now we know more or less something extraordinary. It would be an extraordinary upset for Adesanya to beat John Jones now. Like it would have been, it you know, it would have been a 50-50, like, damn, I don't know. Like I know this guy's got this, that guy's got that. It's like now that we've seen now that we've seen like what Jan Blokovitz can do as far as with the takedown and wrestling from the middle of the cage. Oh god, dude, that's that's like an assault. Like in my mind, the way I play it out in my head, John Jones versus Israel Adesanya is like borderline irresponsible booking. Yep, I agree. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. Um, well, with that, let's move on to the co-main event. And uh, hey, man, it's one of those things where uh, dominance eventually becomes rote. It's like, anyway, Amanda Nunez stops Megan Anderson uh, at two minutes, three seconds of round one. Now, we all knew this was a possibility. You know, you 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 hear any matchup with the Lioness in it, and you start game planning for the, uh, for the other girl. You're like, ah, oh, man, you know, she could, you know, Megan, she could use her size. She's like a real featherweight, you know. She's like big for the weight class. She's, you know, she's got some pretty good striking, her, you know, her jujitsu isn't bad. Her, you know, she's not going to just get wrestled down um, because of her, you know, her strength. But this was as this was as dominant as Nunez has ever looked, and it, and it almost makes like I, we may have talked about it on our two fifty nine special, like that how we were worried about how. Nunez was was acting in the pre-fight. We were like, ooh, we're worried about her because she's not acting like she has the same edge that she has. Well, shit, man. I guess she doesn't need it because she, she just – she doesn't need it. No. What were your thoughts? What were your thoughts uh, so, about the fight? This, this career portion of Amanda Nunez is – is similar to the end of the career portion of Ronda Rousey, where it's just she's just blowing these chicks out of the water, and it's completely assumed that she's going to win going into it. But it's there's a different feeling to it. This this has like a sad and pathetic feeling to like these last three title defenses from Amanda Nunes, where I'm just like. There, I, I'm not sure what the difference is. Obviously, none of them are actually deserving of title shots. Uh, Megan Anderson is currently, we're how many days removed? She is no longer a UFC employee. Um, oh, Amanda Amanda killed the division, dude. 
She, I she hope because I hope because Dana says in the post fight, yeah, as long as she wants to, you know, just keep fighting chicks at one forty five, we'll just keep bringing them in. Like, like we were just talking joke. about, it's a joke, dude. We were taking, like, we were talking about taking a little, like a champ, sitting back a little bit, letting letting things percolate, letting things mature. No Bro, division. This is like, those two need, if if she wanted featherweight to mature, she would need to step away for a meaningful amount of time. The whole featherweight division needs to die. There's nothing. There's nothing about it. Cyborg's gone. Get, kill it. Kill the 145 division. Amanda can defend at 135, and shit, she can defend every two years if she wants. She can take four years off because there's no number one contenders in that division. No, they're gonna do. They're going back to the original cyborg plan. Like it was, it has been wow. revealed. Yeah, it's been revealed that when the UFC acquired Strike Force, the original plan was to keep Cyborg on the roster and do what Strike Force had been doing: feed her a different woman who weighed in at 145-ish pounds. There was that one horrifying fight against, uh, I can't remember her name, that Japanese Dan woman. Oh, no. Do you uh, remember that? Do you remember yes, that? Yes, of course. Oh, my God. Was that Nashville? That couldn't have been Nashville. No. But it was a card around that era. Yes, Gus Johnson would have lost his mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like So, like, Marlos Kunin was off for the weekend, and... You know, they just bring, they would just bring a woman who fought at 145 pounds somewhere in the world to challenge for the strike force belt against, you know, the, the, the rancor of, you know, cyborg and that they're going to do that again. Like every so often you'll get everything. That's what they've been doing the whole time. They started yeah, doing yeah. Cyborg when they brought Cyborg over to the UFC. They started giving her, oh, we signed Yana Kunitskaya, all these actual 135ers who would put on 10 pounds and go get murked. So then she gets eaten up by Amanda Nunes, and now they're doing the same shit to Amanda Nunes in that division. So this whole time, 145 for years now, we've just been getting fed these one-offs to the point that the hardcores are like, we're done. I'm full of one-off 145 women's fights. No one gets anything out of it except for Amanda Nunes. Amanda Nunes is the only one that's like, yeah, I get the two belts on my shoulders. One of those belts is fake as shit. I don't remember who said it this week. Uh, maybe Chael or some other high personality. But they they said it perfectly. They were like, at heavyweight, when when you say a person is the, is the heavyweight champion, they're the best heavyweight, you don't need to say they're the best – fighter at 210 pounds they're the best fighter 220 pounds it's all of them amanda nunez is the best fighter from 135 up just take the cap off of 135 and just say head women 135 and up amanda nunez is the champion like it's it the 10 pounds is just yeah i you know i've thought about that too like what why don't they just do women's heavyweight like what it is it's like just say like 135 and up. I mean, that is women's heavyweight. Who but, that, but, but we talked about this last week. It's not that there is not talent at 145 pounds. But it's that the UFC it. does not care about signing talent at 145 pounds. They don't care. They do not care about 145 pounds. Now, if the UFC, this is the thing. 
I I would be in favor of 145 going away. And you know, it honestly is to the point now where it more or less doesn't matter. It doesn't it just doesn't matter if they do or not cuz the result would be the same cuz it's you know, we're 2 years in and there's still no rankings. There's not enough women to fill out it's a top way more than 2 years. It's top, way more than 2 years. Oh, dude, there's not enough women to fill out a top 5, let, let alone a top 15. I we need Adam weight. It's got to happen. Like it, it is a populated division, and as fun as straw weight is, Adam weight can get reckless, dude. There's so many fighters that are at 115 that really that came from Invicta at 105 mm-hmm. like there's there is a sizable amount of talent at 105 pounds and i really wish the ufc would i mean there's a bunch of weight not a bunch i mean there's probably four weight classes that i would like to see in the ufc um we're talking atom weight uh super lightweight uh super middleweight and maybe a cruiserweight. That, that would be that would be my my stuff, right? One hundred five for the women, one sixty five, one ninety five, maybe like a two fifteen type weight class, something like that, or a two twenty five. That would be pretty cool. Um, one ninety five is like very needed. And we saw that. I think we saw that on Saturday too. One ninety-five would be a legit weight class, man. Like a twenty-pound leap in weight is just insane between weight classes. It just makes no sense why lightweight. You know, from it makes no sense from an organizational standpoint to have fighters from one hundred twenty-five pounds up to. 155 pounds that can just make 10 pound leaps from one weight class to the other. And then from then on out, it's like, good luck, buddy. Hope you can, hope you can get big enough for 15 pounds up or you can get small enough for 15 pounds down as if you can't, you're shit out of luck. Makes no sense. Makes no sense. But yeah. um, Yeah. I was thinking of uh, the anchor man quote. A kill the guy quote, you know. Oh, Rick pretty, killed the guy. Yeah. Yeah. Right, Rick. I, I knew it was. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Brick. Brick. Yes. Brick. Yeah. Brick gambling. Yeah. Yeah. Brick killed the guy. Amanda killed. Amanda killed the division, dude. Uh, he killed Amanda Nunes's or uh, Megan Anderson's career. Uh, kicked her out of the UFC. And nah, got- she'll go to Bellator, man. Bellator, like I said, Bellator has Bellator has a semi like. You know, I haven't looked at the numbers of how many women are at 145 pounds, but like it's at least five, at it's least populated. Five. There are women fighting there. What's waiting for her in Bellator? Cyborg. That's the that's the best yeah. the best case scenario. Kayla Harrison. If she Kayla goes against Harrison, by Cyborg. Kayla Harrison fights at women's lightweight in PFL. Yeah. yeah. 
and they have to fill eight slots for that tournament. Yeah. So like there are women that are bigger that want that are like they exist. They exist. So anyway, you know, we we don't know what's next for Amanda Nunez. At this point, like she obviously she stated again and again, like she still loves doing this. And when it's that easy, who can blame her? Yeah. Like, why wouldn't you? You you work Go up, for collect an easy paycheck every six. Yeah, months. I mean, she's a champ. She gets she gets pay per view points, dog. She like two minutes, three seconds of work against and a woman. Thousand pay per views, Jesus Christ. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, all right. So this is the big one as far as the titles go. Like the other two, they were important. They were, uh, you know, the stakes were big for the fighters. This is a first, a legit first, not like a this never happens kind of thing. Like this had never happened kind of thing. Um, Algermaine Sterling takes an illegal knee at four minutes, 29 seconds around number four in his, uh, title winning bid against Pietro Jan. Man, what a time. What what were your when you were watching and what were your thoughts? Okay, so obviously illegal knee, the fault is on Jan, shouldn't have thrown a blatantly illegal strike. Fight could not continue, should not have continued. So that was all right up until that point. The big question goes into how you handle these situations in a title fight. And I'm not necessarily sure that handing the belt to the person that was just illegally struck is the answer. I would have thought that the best case scenario would probably be a no contest. Maybe. I don't know. But I don't. The illegal strike the belt. He can't keep it. Peter Yan doesn't get to keep the belt, but I. No. I but I think it just becomes vacant. Nobody gets it. You both, you fucked up. Here's the thing. It's like Aljo <laughs> didn't. Aljo <laughs> didn't it's like Aljo didn't win it, but Jan, Jan, you lost it. Like Jan, you <laughs> lost the belt. You did not get it. Back. Oh God, God! The doctors called a stop to this contest <laughs> at four minutes twenty nine seconds via illegal knee. Yawn, you lost it. Yeah, you blew it. You uh, blew it. That's it. So, Yawn couldn't in terms it of like In terms of how things unfolded, I, I don't have a problem with it because Yawn threw a blatantly illegal strike and the fight should not have continued. Everybody's bitching and whining and talking about, oh, fucking Sterling, Sterling just deserves an Oscar for all that milk and it doesn't matter what he like doesn't matter. He, he may have milked it. No, if he a, it doesn't at all. He ate a blatant illegal strike, and the fight should not have continued. End of story. Also, people are like, ah, he's taking pictures with the belt. Well, they gave it to him, and it's his. He can take pictures <laughs> yeah. of it if he wants. Who gives a shit? Uh, it doesn't the, matter. Like, you're, you're, the next fight is going to immediately be a rematch anyway, so who cares? It doesn't matter. And, and Jan was winning the fight up until that point. So... Um, you know, we'll we'll see what happens, but a very unfortunate situation. I think I was no, thinking I, you. 
I was thinking back to the draw. Remember, uh, so we've had two draws in title fights: the Frankie Edgar situation, uh -huh. the second one, and then the the Woodley situation. And they're like, "All right, it's a draw." Moreno. That's right. And it's like it's a draw. Just you know, keep the belt, whatever. And that's not how I wanted this to go because it's like, fuck, Jan screwed up. He doesn't get the belt back. So I don't know. I was thinking just vacant belt, but I don't know. What do you think? You know, it's a, it's an interesting, it's an interesting thing, right? Because, you know, our natural inclination, and it looks like this, what the UFC is going to do is a, is an immediate rematch, right? This isn't a draw. This isn't some, it isn't a loss via cut. This was an illegal technique. This was a break in the rules, a blatant break in the rules. And for some reason, we are comfortable treating it like it was some freak. Uh, yeah, like a draw or a, or a fight in via cut or a, a wonky split decision. It's none of those things. It was an illegal technique that Peter Jan saw, like you watch the replay. He saw where Sterling's head was. He measured him out. Then he threw it. Like it wasn't, it wasn't, it was an intentional strike. That's why it's a DQ. So like if we're going to, if we are going to strip dudes for, you know, the, the reason why we don't allow PEDs is because it is cheating, right? We're willing to strip people of belts and not give them the opportunity to fight for a belt again until they can prove that they have competed clean, or at least they didn't get caught for competing dirty, you know, like Dillashaw. Dillashaw yeah. is going to have to fight about to prove that he can piss clean in order to get a shot at the belt again. Like, in my opinion, that's how we should be proceeding. Like, mm -hmm. Pierre Yon needs to take another fight, prove that he can follow the rules, and then we consider that him getting his belt back. But for whatever reason, the community has decided, no. This is, this is just like any other ending to a fight. It's a, it is, they're almost treating it as an illegitimate ending to a fight. Yes, it's they very are. legitimate. It's legitimate as hell. When you cheat, you get disqualified and you lose via disqualification. It is a very legitimate way for a fight to end. And whether or not people like it or believe Sterling, like if they believe that it affected him or not, is really not doesn't matter. It's not on him to make that decision. He yeah. didn't make the rules. He got fouled to the extent that it was so bad that the doctor was, you know, looking at Mark Smith like, uh, I don't know, dog. <laughs> I'm not sure about this one. So, yeah, man, I'm, I'm a little bit annoyed by the whole situation. We're going to get the rematch. It's going to happen. Probably Peter Jan, you know, judging, this is what I'll say is Sterling, one thing that he can definitely take away from this fight is pace, man. Like it, to get away from the foul and to talk about the actual fight, Sterling, dude, 
he he opened up such a high pace in the first round. And then he did it as long as he could in the second round. And that's when the, the tide turned, man. Yeah. About halfway through the second was when Aljamain Sterling was like, okay, I've done the hyper-aggressive thing, and now it's done. Yeah. It's, I'm done now. And, and uh, you know, it goes back to, like, what Chael said a long time ago. You're, you're either going to fight for a finish. If you fight for a finish, you're going to lose a decision. That's how yeah. it works. Yeah. And that is what we were watching play out before uh, Pieter Jan uh, blasted Sterling in the skull with his yeah. neck. Yeah. Yeah. But um, what, what, so your thoughts on the fight were about the same? Yeah. No, yep. Yeah. I double down on all of that. I can get on board with all the stuff that you said. That's cool. Yeah. Thanks, man. Um, yeah, further further on down the card. We'll, we'll go ahead and, and move on. Um, oh, oh, we cannot move on. We can't move on. Mm. Sandhagen, dude. Corey Sandhagen. What yeah. happens to Sandy? What happens to Sandhagen? What does he do? Pretty easy one to me. You do Sandhagen versus Dillashaw. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think that's I think that's a very sensible fight to make, and I think that uh, I mean it's a fun one too, man. Mm -hmm. I think it's fun. Um, so now we got we mentioned Sandhagen now, crisis averted. Let's move on down the card. And there were some other big, big wins. And I'm just going to rattle through um, so I can get through a few of them, right? I'm going to start at the very bottom and then we'll work our way to the tippy top, okay? Um, Trevin Jones with a with a big KO. That was dope. Um, Uros Medic, man. Did you, did you see his fight? Yep, yep. The prelims were banging, son. Bro, Uros Medic. Just when you think, like, okay, so he was 6-0 and heading into the fight. All first-round TKOs. And you think, like, oh, okay, he's fighting in Alaska. He was fight He was an Alaska FC fighter. So you're like, okay, they're literally pulling dudes out of igloos and throwing them into the cage and being like, get in there, man. Here's, here's 100 bucks and a meal ticket, all right? Yeah. You expect him to slow down, and instead, he gets yet another first-round stoppage at a minute forty in the first. I'm super excited to see this guy fight more, man. Yeah. Um, Sean Brady, dude, taking out Jake Matthews. How impressive was that? Yeah, it was dope. Quite impressive performance. After that came a light heavyweight. War. Talk about pacing. Again. City kickboxing zone. Carlos Olberg came out at the start of the fight and was lighting Kennedy Nishukwu up, man. He was really putting on a clinic in the striking. But Nishukwu, he stayed tough. He uh he showed some really some good defense as well. And man, 
man, oh man, the dog came out of him and he he put Olberg away, dude. What a war. Yeah, City Kickboxing homie put the pedal to the floor in the first round. He hit him with everything he had. And then Chuck Wu pulled the old Overeem, do this and stand there and eat him for five minutes. And he did. And so in that <laughs> second round, he was like, Psh, I'm going to go now. And he went and he murked him. Yeah, my name for that is like, uh, I wanted to put it in like old karate terms. So I've dubbed that Overeem move uh, quicksand arms. Mm -hmm. Because that is what it is, man. It's like like when Overeem was at his best, it's like you can't see – you're not sure if he's hurt, close to being finished, or just like doing like these micro movements like this that is like – it's like watching Goku fight. They're like, oh, he's standing still. It's like, no, he's not. He's moving so quick. <laughs> you can't see him move. Uh <laughs> Tim Elliott takes out Jordan Espinoza um, in the course of the fight. Tim Elliott not only uh, won a unanimous decision against him and May judges, but possibly opened up a court case with legal judges mm -hmm. against Jordan Espinoza. <laughs> uh, talk about a win-win. Uh, that was a pretty great fight as well for yeah. Tim Elliott. Oh, yeah. yeah. Again, Jordan Espinoza, he's like, I beat you, and also don't ever hit don't ever hit women, Jordan. Yeah. And then the media is like, "Hey, uh, Tim, what was what was that about hitting women?" And Tim really is like, "Yeah, I didn't realize in uh, the cage in which we're recorded fighting that that we were around a microphone." Yeah. So I didn't mean to put him on blast like that. Whoops. Whoops. That was that was my favorite moment of the post fight is when Tim Elliott, a man who fights on television for a living, thought he could keep a secret inside the cage, speaking at normal volume. That's I love that. Uh Kaikara France gets a finish at four fifty five against Rogerio Bontorin. Um good for him. That's how I felt about it. He was what getting tore up, son. He was getting tore up. He was real sure lucky. Was. Oof, he was lucky. He sure was the was. lone survivor of uh, City Kickboxing that night. They had a rough night. We had Askar Askarov taking on Joseph Benavidez. It was a good fight, and I felt it was one. You know, Joseph Benavidez lost, and he lost handily. He didn't get necessarily hurt at any moment. But I feel like it was a very important fight for Askar Askarov because Joseph Benavidez is a guy that's not going to let you slide in any position or any situation. You really, he's a fighter that's going to test you everywhere. And I felt like it was a really important, while it's not telling us what the skills ceiling is for Askar Askarov, it's showing us that he can indeed mix all of it. Uh, at a high level, did you did you come away with any thoughts about his oh, victory? Yeah. That was huge for him. That was my guy. That was my lock for the card. He dominated Benavidez, um, clearly demonstrating that he is a future title challenger. I believe yeah. Benavidez was ranked number five at the time. I think so. That puts mm -hmm. Asparar 
now at like number five in the division. So here in the next couple couple fights, I expect to see some dope stuff from him. I have high expectations for Mr. Askarov. Yeah, and and you know, um, I said pre-fight that I thought Joseph Benavidez was going to win because Askarov was going to have to show us a new level to be able to implement his game on a fighter like Benavidez, and he did exactly that. So, yeah, man, um, color me wrong. I, I don't care. I'm excited to see that guy fight. Yeah. Um, Kyler Phillips taking on Song Yudong. That fight went as opposite a fight as any on the yes. on the preliminary card, man. I had not expected that one at all. No. No, Phillips. Phillips was like, oh, hey, guys, uh, while I was gone, I learned how to be a, uh, a pretty decent volume striker. <laughs> like, yeah. it was great. It was great from him. And and it unfortunately for uh, Song Yudong, uh, derails, uh, derails the momentum of the, the Team Alpha Male prospect. So, you know, you know looking great lately. At he'll all. be back. He'll be back. And then Dominic Cruz, man. Dominic Cruz back in the news for taking out Casey Kenny. Yeah. In the end, yeah, that one kind of came across. It felt like a tune-up fight in the end. Um, but yeah. it's like that's fine. I mean, it's a good win for Dom, but I still have concerns about him facing like a top five guy in this division. I still don't want to see it. Like, I'm glad yeah. that he got the win and he's back on track. But I don't want them to be like, all right, now fight Sanhagen or now fight Dillashaw. Like, no, 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 no. I would rather see him fight like Frankie Edgar or Aldo. Yeah. Um, I mean, if he were going to rematch, oh, man, those are just my dream fights, man. They're like, all in the same please. division now. They're please. all three in the same division. They were three different champions. The 55, 45, and 35 champions have now all convened in the same way. Please, please, please let me see Dominic Cruz fight either Aldo or Edgar before they leave the sport. That's the thing. It's like we're running out of time. We got to I know. They're all, both are fights that, God, man, I want to see. I want to see those fights so bad. It's like those are fights for the hardcores. I've already told you before, and I've said it on the show, my favorite fights in MMA are, you know, 37 to 41-year-old dudes. Mm-hmm. It's the best. Like, not not just, like, random guys from the Dave & Buster, but, like, freaking, you know, like, dudes who've been there, like Matt Brown versus Carlos Condit. That is a perfect example of yeah. what I'm looking for with an, a dusty old man fight. Yeah. Like they can do it all because they trained it all for the last decade or more. Um, yeah, man, I, I really, we got to see those fights and I'm right there with you. Uh, Dominic Cruz, if he were to fight a top contender, it would, it would have been right now uh, or it, you know, immediately following this fight, taking on, Dillashaw in his comeback because I do not care what what Cruz says 
ring rust is real. It's totally real. I think we saw it in his fight against Casey Kenny. He wasn't yeah. moving the same. He wasn't able to get out of way of shots the same. Now, I think I would need to watch the fight back, and I would need to compare his fight with the um, the Cejudo fight and maybe even the fight before that. But I think he, I believe he's changed his stance and the way that he moves. Absolutely. And I would imagine it's a little bit narrower. It seems to be at least. I need to go back and watch the Casey Kenny fight. But if memory serves, I thought it looked a bit narrow. And I think that might be his game planning to counter the leg kicks that are inevitably coming because of how much he moves. And how good guys are at leg kicks now. So I'm wondering how that that adaptation of his game would work against some of these guys. But yeah, right now would be the the, the time to fight a guy like Dillashaw, who hasn't fought in you know two plus years. Yeah. So, it's but that's true. not that ain't gonna happen. That ain't gonna happen. Well. Um, Let's go ahead and, and we're going to talk a little bit about UFC Vegas 21. Not going to talk a bunch about it. We're we're gonna we're gonna go ahead and talk about the main event. All right, we got we got some posts on uh, on FightFreaks.co. Uh, it's a preview by myself for the prelims, and then there's a preview. Uh, by Evan Montgomery for the main card. Uh, he goes in a little bit more depth than I do. As far as his prediction, uh, he, he actually tries to nail down the method of victory, which is just so hard. It's just so hard to do that. But he, he does, and he does a decent job at it. Um, he, he went undefeated. He's gone undefeated a few times, man. He's really good. Um. But anyway, if you want a full breakdown of this card or any other, go to the website, uh, fightfreaks.co. Now, let's talk about the main event. Leon Edwards taking on... Uh, Alal Muhammad. Ah! Yes. You know what you did just then, Brad? Mm. You remember the name. Oh, That's son. what you did. That name That's what was... You did. Oh, yeah. yeah, you remember the name, Bilal Muhammad. Yeah. Now, they're facing down at at, uh, at one seventy, facing off. Facing down is a hmm. That's a that's a different activity. But listen, we're gonna we're gonna talk about this main event at one hundred seventy pounds. Leon Edwards is uh, he's been inactive, uh, but unlike a lot of other inactive MMA fighters. He was not popped for illegal drugs, and he didn't blow out a joint or ligament. He just didn't fight for like two years. <laughs> Bilal Muhammad, he's he's done pretty good for himself. He's coming off of a dominant, uh, crazy high pace beatdown of Diego Lima. Super impressive, and he hopped on this fight. Um, Kamzat Kamayev, right? He's he's over there. He, he's got COVID. He's coughing up blood. I wish him the best. 
he's got like a second he's got like the the next form of of the of tb mm-hmm. um which really sucks for him and while he is you know fighting for his health and fighting off the pressure from a a murderous dictator Bilal muhammad fills his shoes and, and uh man I'm not sure how to feel about this fight, to be honest. I, I might actually like Muhammad a little bit more. Really? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Well, I will go. So I'm going to dive straight into this thing head first. I'm going to work from my my detailed prediction and work my way backwards. So originally, Ooh. originally, I was feeling a Leon Edwards decision going into this fight. Um, having thought about it and researched it and thought about it some more and then bet with my money, I have now officially decided upon a Leon Edwards KO or TKO, and I shall explain further why. Um, Now, I would expect them in a typical fight being booked between these two on full camps, five-round main event, that this would go to decision. I will fully say that. that. My difference in this is Bilal Muhammad just fought 17 days ago, and in that fight, his front leg was tore and chewed up. That leg suffered a lot of damage to it. Leon Edwards, on the other side, has been out for two years. And in that time, he well, – actually, before that time, he had kind of ran his way up through the division to get to a number three ranking. In this last two years, while he's been sitting out and beefing with the UFC, they've taken it away from him forcefully at some point and unranked him. And then eventually he got that ranking back. Um, also, <laughs> there's no, there's no better, uh, there's no better indication for the legitimacy of the UFC rankings than oh. the Leon Edwards story. Yes, that you know, like we got beef with you, so we take it away, and then yeah. we identify who we want, and so we give it back. Um, but long story short, while he's been away, a lot has changed in the division. And especially with the way things are currently situated with Usman, I think he knows that he needs to come in here and make a big state. He knows that the pressure's on. He's been out of the limelight. People are doubting that he's a real legit guy. I think he's going to feel the pressure to go in here. He's had the full camp, more than a full camp, a two-year-long camp. I think he's going to try to really put it on Bilal, go after that leg that's probably still injured in some way, and try to get a finish to emphasize that he is the guy that should be next to get the title shot. Even as Dana said this week, that if he does something spectacular or impressive, that he'll get the next title shot, even though they're probably (laughs) – Of course, that's definitely not going to happen. But Definitely, that's uh, not only – like, you know, like Dana White, at least this time he's walking his statement back slowly – because before it was, if Leon Edwards wins, no, oh, yeah, he gets he gets a title shot, and that's when it was against Kamayev, mm-hmm. right? And this we've spoken to we've spoken about it before with the UFC assuming dudes should take. Not only do they want guys to take short notice fights, guys should take short short notice fights, right? It speaks to a lack of respect. For what a fighter does. Yeah. If anything, this should further the case for a Leon Edwards title shot. But 
at the end of the day, that's just Dana White saying stuff. Like, that's just him. It's no longer him. I'm convinced of this now. He no, he does not say stuff like that to convince a fighter to play ball. The fighter thinks it's to get the fighter to do what Dana wants. It's not that. It is to get people to watch the fight. Yeah. He is putting stakes on the fight. The fighter is like, all right, Dana gets it. He gets that of what I want, and I'm doing this for the company, and I'm taking on this unranked, uh, you know, unknown guy, uh, Kamzat. Now I'm taking this short-notice guy, Muhammad, who is also, you know, the hardcores know him, but the, the wider fan base uh, doesn't remember the name. You know, <laughs> I couldn't stop. Uh, I can't stop, man. I can't stop. Listen, if you make your nickname a phrase, I'm going to fit that bitch in wherever I can, all right? It's just you know. <laughs> so, yeah, it is It is to get people to speak about the fight. Because how much buzz would there be around a, a Leon Edwards bout if there were zero title implications at all? None. 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 Leon Edwards has which never is, had high can I give you my can I give you my my prediction? Please, yes. My prediction is that we get a five round Leon Edwards uh, decision. That is what's most likely to happen. I think that Muhammad comes on strong. He tries to set a high pace, and Leon Edwards does what he's listen, man. I'm not hating on the style. The style is effective. Leon Edwards is as good at wall and stall as any striker has ever been. <laughs> he's like, he's leagues beyond Holly Holm levels of wall and stall, dude. He's so good at it. And when you try and put a pace on him, he's real quick to be like, no, we're not going to do this anymore. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not just throwing, I'm not throwing them bungalows with you anymore. We're going to knee each other in the thighs and tummy for 25 minutes. That's what we're going to do now. And and I'm good at keeping my back off the cage, so I'm going to win. Now, um, I think you're right about Muhammad's leg. I do not think that's going to be fully recovered. Um, I would be very surprised if it's fully recovered by the time he fights Edwards. But the, the cool thing for Muhammad, because typically... Leon Edwards would be the one that would want to set a high pace because Muhammad is taking this on short notice. Right. But Muhammad's straight off a, a, a training camp. And other than the damage he took to his front leg, he didn't take any sure. damage to the head. He's also never been five rounds before. He's never, never. He's went yeah, to yeah. you're right. You're right. Um, Leon's been in five rounds in the UFC before. Yeah. Well, I mean, this is the biggest fight of Muhammad's career, clearly. Yeah. yeah. Does a win – what is a win for him? What does a win do for him? There we go. Uh, English. It puts, him in, it puts him in the top five. Yes. That's it. He's not – he would not be fighting for a belt or anything. He'd just be a top five guy. But do you think that it would matter? Do you think it would matter? It would because matter to 
Leon Edwards. It would matter to Leon Edwards. I'm talking the, the big picture because 170 pounds has, in my mind, unfortunately, turned into a diva division. It has really turned into a diva division in that, yeah. uh, not diva as far as women, but like uh, maybe prima donna or what, however you want to say, people that, that are um, very confident of their worth and they are not willing to put their worth on the line for people they perceive to be less than their worth or yeah. they're, they're not willing to put their worth on the line for people who won't get them more worth. Um, it's honestly like how to destroy a division 101. Like yeah. that, like the top, the top of the division has no interest in giving anyone below them an opportunity to take their spot. Yeah. And not through fighting, through just straight up not taking bouts. Mm -hmm. It's just it's insane to watch. It's insane. Yeah. To, I've never, I have never seen anything like it before in the UFC. Yeah. It, it's honestly shocking. Yeah. Um. And it and it's like, dude, it's it's honestly like the top four of the division turned into uh, Rashad Evans from twenty twelve. Mm. Not twenty twelve. What year was it? He wouldn't fight anyone. He was waiting for Shogun. Twenty ten. Oh. That's when he had the belt, right? No, no. It was when he was about to get his title rematch. And so he sat out. It's how Jones got the belt. It was 2011? Yeah, 128. UFC 128, 2011, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So Rashad Evans is like, why would I risk my spot for anyone else? And everyone's like, Rashad, you should really, like, you should definitely fight. Because it's going to be forever. Because Shogun has to get, you know, both his knees sewn back on okay mm -hmm. you should take a fight and he's like no nah, i'm not gonna take a fight i'm not risking my spot for nobody and then he blows his knees out yeah and when, and then when you uh he said this in multiple interviews and actually he's been asked about this in reference to the welterweight division his number one regret in his career is that he did that because he's like the window is so short the window yeah. is so short, and you don't realize it when you're in it. But if I could have done anything, I would have fought more when I could do it. I think that we're going to have a lot of uh, regret from a lot of fighters at 170 pounds um, in the future. Yeah, they're giving up a lot of time in the prime of their career. Yeah. It's insane. Yeah. Uh, somebody give Wonder Boy a fight. That's what I think. I swear. You think the Leon Edwards? What's the most? You know what? I think I just accidentally stumbled upon the most likely outcome for a Leon Edwards win. Mm. Is a is a Wonder Boy Thompson fight? Yeah, it is. <laughs> Isn't that heartbreaking for both men? Which is crazy because it's the fight that is the fight that Leon Edwards turned down six months ago. Yeah, he's, he's working towards something that he turned down. He could have had half a year uh, ago. It's one of those things where I just 
I'm just not sure. I'm not sure because people have said this for years. Like you need to get these title promises in writing. Mm. I just don't think it's a thing the UFC does. It can't be. Everything it can't, you're right. You're right. It cannot be a thing that the UFC does. Because like you can never pre- like, if, okay. So like we were talking about earlier with the Corey Sandhagen situation. I mean, logically Corey Sandhagen is your next, is your next contender. And you could say like, all right, you're going to fight the winner of Aljo and Sterling. Well, you certainly didn't know that Aljo Sterling was going to be a total shit show that required an immediate rematch. And so now it's like, well, Sandhagen, you are still the number one contender, but now you're going to have to fight again. So it's like, well, then fuck, I'm not really the number one contender anymore. Now, uh, in my dream scenario, you know, I'm I'm addicted to a game called World of MMA 5, Brad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's where you are, you are a promoter. Mm-hmm. Now, how I would handle it, because I can't stand cheaters in my promotion. Right. I own a I own a, a company in this game. I also own a child organization. It's my feeder league. Mm. They get all my scraps. They get all the scrum. Right. Yeah. Anyone who cheats, anyone who comes up for PEDs, they get shot straight to that child league and they never yeah. come back. Now, if I were a matchmaker for what's happened, Dillashaw gets yawn. That's what he gets. Cheater fight. I'm down. It's a cheater fight. Anything, anything goes. <laughs> look, look, under, look under the cage. There could be a baseball bat. Look under the yeah. cage or you'll be a steel chair. Whatever you want. The ref is going to, the ref is going to, you know, he's going to miss, he's going to miss the eye pokes and the groin shots. And it's going to be a grand. It's just going to be Herb Dean. All right. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's going to be, you know, it's gonna be hell in a cell. I'll tell you that right now. But yeah, I would have Aljo Sandhagen rematch, and I would have Jan versus Dillashaw for the number one contender. That's how uh, you handle cheaters. I'd be totally down with that. Jan cheated. Yeah. God. Well, all right. I think that's uh. You know, I thought I had some. I thought I had some little, some quick hits or whatever. Oh, I got, I got you. I got quick hits. Oh, oh, okay. Okay, so can I just maybe I'll save this for the very end because we're at, we're right now we're at one eighteen, and uh, we're going to go about ninety minutes. So. I'm just gonna. I got three. They announced three big fights this week. I'm just gonna. We're gonna throw them out and discuss. Surprise me! You told me before the show, and I, I didn't look them up. Go it's ahead. Just, uh, there's there's three three larger fights. They announced two title fights, and then one just big fight. We'll get the title yeah. fights. First. So first, we have uh, on the same card. This is gonna be on 261. Co-main event is gonna be Valentina defending her belt against Jessica Andrade. Um, Andrade just moved to that weight class and knocked out. Uh, the number one contender, uh, Chukagian. So now she's very dangerous, taking on um, Valentina. And then in our main event, we're going to have Wei Li Zhang defending against Rose Namayunas, which is uh, going to be wild. Um, that's going to be wild. Um, the, Cannot the wait. Precision striking of Rose versus the, the wild tornado of Zhang. And then there's the big one. It's uh, It's a big one. It's concerning to me. And that is Tony Ferguson versus Benil Daryush. 
Ooh, um, dude, yeah. that's the type of old man fight I am ready for. I agree. It's a great fight. It's a fantastic fight. I'm glad that they, they were looking down the rankings to find Tony an opponent rather than looking up because that's what they should be doing right now. I'm glad that they did that. At the same time, even though they look down, and Benil Darius might be the toughest dude in that, like, I, maybe he's ranked like 10 or 11, like that, like 15 to 5 range. Like, dude, Benil Darius outside of Islam Makachev might be like the toughest guy. And I am quite concerned for the what appears to me to be rapidly deteriorating Tony Ferguson against uh, kind of right now a surging Benil Daryush. Yeah, um, but is he? But is he though? Uh, that this is what I'll say. Is yeah, he lost. He lost the the title fight pretty handily. I mean, he got stopped. Yeah. Right. He got beat down, and then he lost to. You know, a guy who, you know, with Khabib pseudo retired. I mean, he's retired. Okay. You have pseudo champion Khabib. You take him out of the picture because he is retired. Mm-hmm. Might be the best guy in the division. Uh, he, he, that's the other guy that Oliveira, you know, Oliveira might be the best guy at 155. Yeah. So I, I think that. We see a more competitive Ferguson. Well, actually, I'll say this. I think it goes one of two ways. Either Daryush sleeps him in some way, shape, or form, either via choke or blunt force trauma, or Tony Ferguson can compete against the guys not numbers one through three. Yeah. You know? I'm foreseeing it being a grappling-heavy affair. I, th- I think Darius could implement some strong grappling on him. But interesting fight nonetheless. Um, that's coming up in – I forgot what card that's on. Maybe that's on 261 as well, potentially. Um, but, yeah, those three fights, rather large. What else you got? Um, we kind of skipped over this, right? Uh, I meant to bring this up during the Nunez discussion. So Pena called for, she had a fight book that I was very excited for against Holly Holm and Holm fell out of the bout. I can't, what did, what happened to her? I can't remember. She disclosed what it was. It was some type of injury with like something going on with one of her organs. Right. Right. Um, so Pena was like, okay, so more or less, we were in a fight to see who gets the next shot at 135. Yeah. She's like, I was going to fight the favor of the women's bantamweight division, but instead now, I guess I'll just move. I'll just I'll take a bye, and I'll just go straight to a title shot. Nunez was like, Yeah, it's not going to happen. I'm not going to do that. I don't want to do that. I think that I believe she may have she may have pitched a rematch for Pena against GDR as a way to get at the title. And uh, Pena was none too happy about that. She thinks that Nunez has been ducking her forever. And I mean, I'm at least halfway, um, 
I'm at least halfway sympathetic to her stance because a part of her plea is like, you haven't defended this thing since 2019. Like the division, whether you think it's dead or not, there are girls here chasing a belt and you're holding it hostage. You know, like if you don't want to defend it anymore, if you think that you're getting too big or whatever, like just give it back. Like let us fight for it or let me fight you for it. There's no one else. I mean, like I couldn't name another person that's like on a, a not named Valentina Shevchenko that could that could would be like a fight I'm itching to see at 135 pounds. Um I'm actually pretty down with her taking on Pena. I think it's a good fight. I think it's a fight that Nunez would win, but it's not a fight that I think Nunez would like. I don't think she would do to Pena what she did to Megan Anderson at the very least. Yeah, this is a rare situation where I am 100% on both sides. Yes, yes, uh, yes. It's just it. I can. It, both sides are totally logical. On Amanda's side, she just fought, and now she's got a chick being like, "Yo, fight me in a couple weeks at a ten pounds less weight class." Man, Nunes is like, "Look, bitch, I just got done fighting. You are on a one fight winning streak, and are like two and three over the last five fights. You're not. You don't deserve to fight me. I'm chilling for like the next. I'm. I'm should be chilling for the next two years." And just fucking off and and we letting this weight class live a little bit. On the Pena side, obviously, the situation you're in, you had a fight booked up. You're supposed to be getting paid. Now you're not going to have a fight. Shoot for the stars. Shoot for you're the only one there. Shoot for the title shot. And if the stars were more aligned, this would probably work out. They probably would just be like, sure, you wrote you put your hand in the air. Why not? Go ahead and fight Amanda Nunes. So it's like she's taking like the chael approach like you're not going to get something clearly so just like call it out and then when it doesn't work out just be like oh well you're scared cuz i was i was there you know like like the the people calling out like hamza you know it's like it's smart to do both ways but um, at the same time is it going to happen no it's not uh, they're just not going to book that right now i i think they let amanda sit on ice for like at least till the summer i don't i don't see amanda yeah. fighting you, I mean, you just have to let these like. If you an if you invest in a in a division. It is not dead, like it, it a division you invest in, and you invest time in, and you invest promotional power in. Does not die. I think that, women's bantamweight has when listen. Featherweight, it's like a non, it's like a non-argument. There is literally just, uh, I believe, officially now on the UFC roster, there are the two women that are about to fight in what a week or two. Yep. And Amanda Nunes. That's it. There's literally three people, yep. and the winner of that next fight ain't getting a shot at 145. If they do, that would like blow my mind. There's just no way. It's a person that's one and zero versus the person that just lost to Amanda Nunes. So yeah, yeah. So yeah. I just 
women's bantamweight has talent there. It's just, honestly, it's it is um, it's a lot of women who've been around a while. A lot of people have formed their opinions of these women already because they've been around since the inception of women's bantamweight. Uh, you have Sarah McMahon. You have uh, uh, that's a big problem. I think is that no new blood, yeah. no new blood has rose up in the one thirty five division. Like you said, she has not defended that belt in, in two years. No new face has came onto the division in one thirty five. I mean, like all those the Holly Holmes, all the girls that she's already fought are all still there. And like, well, maybe do you think fight each other every once in a while, but. Do you think the only reason 135 was ever a hot division was that 125 didn't exist yet? Yes, and it was just like it was new. So everything, all these people were new. You didn't know who, I mean, like, remember, nobody gave a shit about Holly Holm until she knocked out Ronda Rousey. Like, she was being wrote off as, like, oh, this is another, yeah. like, of a title defense. We just didn't know who any of these people were. And now we know who they all are because they've all fought – Ronda and they all fought Amanda Nunes and they're all just there. They're all still the same, just sitting there. No one new has come into the division. Like at least at 115, like look at 115. Like we thought we had it all figured out. And Whaley Zhang came comes running out of nowhere. Like she she's totally new blood, fresh on the scene, runs in, takes the belt, like completely switches it up. Um 125 is constantly getting people moving in and out from 115 and 135. Like it's just 135 is so stagnant. Uh, but it, it's like, in all honesty, yes, number six, Juliana Pena on her one fight winning streak is probably the next person to fight Amanda Nunes. But the truth is, if she wants to make a paycheck, she's going to have to fight somebody else in May. Well, let me end the show with this. And it was a regrettable quote that I read um, from former UFC heavyweight champion Frank Mir. He fights on the undercard of the uh, Jake Paul versus Benny former, Askren. Yeah, Ben Askren, uh, former hip replacement recipient and a uh, man who is primarily a wrestler. Um, Frank Mir fights on the undercard of that against Antonio Tarver, uh, a standout boxer, a man who holds wins, uh, most notably over Roy Jones Jr. Um and Frank Mir gave a statement in this press release, you know, officially announcing these undercard fights. And I saw this, and I immediately face-palmed. Frank Mir said in a statement, I'm a competitor. I have been all my life. I take on challenges to grow and better myself as a person. I have always wanted to test myself in the boxing ring, so when this opportunity arose, I jumped on it. Now that, that doesn't sound too bad. That sounds like general fighter talk. Mm -hmm. This is where the statement goes off the rails. And as an MMA fan, I didn't, 
I'm not happy about it. Frank continues, I will prove that MMA training, in fact, makes us the best boxers. And I stand for all MMA fans and fighters. This isn't just a boxing match. This is the one that will finally prove the skill and dedication of all MMA fighters. No. Bro, it ain't you, Frank. It we ain't you, Frank. We do not want you fighting for our... None of us asked for you to go defend our honor against <laughs> no, oh no, God, one, no, no one asked no. for this, man. No one you asked for this. For us. No, do not you do not speak for us. No. Uh yeah, no one asked no one asked for this. It's uh it really is regrettable choice of words. And mm -hmm. I'm really tired of like, I don't know anymore. Like, that's a very 2008 statement to make. Like, mm -hmm. no no MMA fan and no MMA fighter is even saying, like, MMA fighters are the best boxers. <laughs> no one says that because it's not true. We all know it's not true. And it's a question that no one is asking because no one is asking. The answer to it. The answer is irrelevant. The answer doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. The answer, the answer, yeah. Who's the best boxer? A professional boxer <laughs> or a mixed martial artist? Now, if we're talking who's the best fighter, that's an that is an interesting discussion. But in terms of who the I'm so tired of this, man. Boxers get them every time. They get MMA fighters. MMA fighters are so easy to to uh, MMA fighters are just so eager to prove themselves, like prove their worth to a community of people that won't think that they're shit either way. Yep. Yeah. It's, it's genuinely shocking. Yeah. Um, it's like they didn't respect you before. They won't respect you after. And if they really wanted to find that's dude, there's a reason why boxers aren't being like, I've always wanted to test myself against a mixed martial artist. Yo, Dana, let me get in that octagon. No, it's like they do this straw man of like those MMA fighters really think they can box. I'm approved. They can't box. It's like, all right, man. Frank Muir, go protect our honor in the sport we know and love. Uh, man who retired for getting knocked out and not being able to get his grappling going is signing <laughs> up. He got knocked out when he couldn't get his ground game going. That's what happened to him. Mm -hmm. That's why he retired from MMA. Yeah. And now he's decided it's time to make the jump to boxing against a former boxing heavyweight champion of the world. Yeah. No, no, no. All right. Well, we've gone on. And, uh, yeah, this has been the Sparring Partners Podcast. My name is Cody McKinley, and I'm joined, as always, by Mr. Brad Jones. Say goodbye to the people. 
Goodbye, people. Catch y'all next week for episode 21. That's good. 21. Maybe we'll have a celebratory drink of red. Potentially. Maybe some red for the 21st. Let's have some red for the 21st. Yeah. All right. Peace out, everybody. Uh, Have a good week and uh, a good fight night um, later on today. Peace out, guys. Peace. Thank you.